There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hello, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. It's great to be back with you again uh, for another week. Another fantastic guest. I'm really excited about talking to Howard Bihar today. Uh, we're going to talk about a star, um, his story. Um, oh, Howard's got a great story. Um, former president of Starbucks in North America and internationally. Um, we're going to talk about the Starbucks blend of service and leadership today. Uh, but before we do that, um, I'd like to say you know, a welcome to um, anybody who's listening, maybe this is the first time you listen to the show. Uh, maybe you're, uh, you've been listening for a long time as we're now in our 13th year. Um, we started in September 2011. Uh, and uh, it's just an honor to have the privilege to talk to you and just really help in terms of thinking about how do we elevate our thinking? How do we do business in a better way? such that we can contribute to a better world through it. You know, through business, we impact lives, so many lives, so many people on this planet. And I think the, you know, this, the, one of the keys uh, to moving forward and improving um, the world is, is through business. And we need to do that in a better way. And my guest has got some great um, stories and great thinking today about um, how they've done that at Starbucks and these work since. Um, before I introduce you to Howard, I'd like to say a big thank you to my guest last week, to Lance Secretan. Uh, Lance was um, was fascinating. Lance has written twenty four books. Um, his organization uh, doing all sorts of leadership development with big corporations across the US. And he was one of the most, oh, he, the, the, the most famous childhood actor in about the, the, the 19, early 1960s. Um, so he ha was talking to me about things like the difference between inspiration and why we need to ignite people and set a fire inside their hearts rather than motivate them by putting a fire underneath them uh, and we talked about um, some really inspiring values and really inspiring thinking to help us to elevate uh, and contribute to a better world through being the best version that we can be i'd also like to say a, a good mention to uh, my friend dr karen wilson starks who very kindly introduced uh, howard and i today so uh, thank you to karen and all the great work she's doing uh, around the world so we're going to talk today about um about howard's life we're going to talk about um about leadership and about servant leadership in particular uh, now howard uh, bihar is a visionary leader and he's had a really uh, incredible career with starbucks uh, as president of North America and the founding president of Starbucks International. And he saw the company's growth from 28 stores to over 15,000 across five con continents. Um, he says over 50 years in consumer-centric businesses, his expertise is really unparalleled. Uh, beyond Starbucks, he's played pivotal roles for many organizations like Gap, Shergard, and the University of Washington Foundation and others. He's a big advocate for the servant leadership model, and he's really committed to nurturing future leaders. He has two great books, um, two seminal works. It's not about the coffee and the magic cup. Uh, which are great titles and I think are a great link to his history with Starbucks. And I'd love to take the opportunity now to really explore his wisdom and his belief in leadership 
uh, that can that serves leadership that uh, serves people uh, not only coffee but also uh, a you know a, a key to a, a better life and a better world so a big welcome to howard bihar thanks chris thanks for having me today you're very welcome it's lovely to talk to you and i believe you're you're somewhere quite beautiful at the moment in palm springs is that right california. Yeah, palm springs california so all of us who are kind of shivering in our in our sort of northern hemisphere countries at the moment and dark at half past three and i imagine it's uh bright and sunny where you are is it right it's beautiful it's gonna be 80 degrees today ah dear. i can i remember the summer seems a long time away already <laughs> so so howard um you know, could you tell us a little bit about your background you know your life growing up and you know what was it that led to this you know fascination around around leadership and around service well I, I i grew up the son of two immigrants that came to seattle in the early 1900s and my father had a and mother had a small mom and pop growth grocery store and you know in those days uh the grocery stores had charge accounts and excuse me had charge accounts for, the, for their customers and their customers weren't just customers they were their friends and their neighbors yeah. and so I got to see firsthand how how you treated people when when they weren't just considered people that had money in their pocket and that was how they operated and and that you know that became part of my life and I learned so much from it and I stayed in retail pretty much my whole life my whole career so so what did you so what did you um, I mean did, did you used to work in the shop when you were younger did you well, yeah when I was 10 or 12 years old but my dad then sold the grocery store and he retired. My dad was 50 when I was born. So I, my brother and brother-in-law both had furniture stores. And so I ended up when I was like 13, going to work in my brother's furniture store, you know, dusting furniture, delivering furniture. And then over time, I grew into sales positions in both of my brother and brother-in-law's stores. And, and I spent 25 years in the home furnishings business, both in my family's yeah. business and 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 larger corporations and so i i learned i learned how to work hard in in those larger corporations it was different than working for your family you know and i enjoyed that and and you know by accident i got to starbucks you know when it was a little tiny when it was a little tiny company i imagine though you know i mentioned that with with working from you know having the experience of working from a young age in in retail uh, it's a it's a great um it's it's a great way to be kind of in you know a, a, an entrepreneurial environment and um i also would imagine with your parents who you know so they were, they were immigrants uh that you had a strong worth ethic from a young age oh yeah my dad I watched my dad get up you know at four o'clock in the morning go down to produce row pick up the produce come back and clean it and open the store at eight o'clock and by six o'clock in those days, he closed the store and came home, ate his dinner, and eleven minutes later, he was sound asleep in his chair, well, because you know he worked hard. Yeah, he was up early every day, and yeah, I watched them give their all to make a living. Yeah, I don't. I think he enjoyed his work. He enjoyed the people, and that's where I got my bent for for people centric businesses and and yeah. watching what he did. I remember my my father would work double shifts in the steelworks, so we had enough money to go on holiday when I was a was a steel worker. And I remember my coming back from school, and I'd done a, a piece of 
I'd, I'd done some drawings and coloring and I'd basically I'd drawn a picture of my father um watching the tv with a with his food on a tray that my mum had brought um but with his head down because he was fast fast asleep uh, and with a pint of beer with the pint of beer on the on the tray I mean I, m- I remember them just being completely he was completely appalled really that that's how I saw him but you know he worked so hard he he'd be often working very odd hours as well um but that's how I saw him as a child <laughs> yeah, you grow to appreciate yeah you know what they do and what they did it's definitely it's incredible am I I always um you know I in today's world it's a little bit different you know what what people expect and you don't see very many people given given their all and you know except maybe some entrepreneurs yeah yeah absolutely i think it there's something about uh, having that stronger work ethic from a young age and entitlement is a real challenge for people who've been maybe been grown up with uh with having quite a bit from a young age and not seeing that um so 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 those experiences i guess um you know impact your belief you know around leadership and service how can you come to meet howard schultz and uh, how did you come to engage with with starbucks well i was the president of a, a medium-sized land development firm that got in trouble we had to sell it and i was 43 years old and so we sold the business and i had to figure out what i was going to do with my life and i started looking for businesses to buy and along that journey i met howard schultz who was the he was the modern day founder of Starbucks. He wasn't the actual founder of Starbucks, but the modern day founder. And he was looking for a vice president of operations. But I actually wanted to buy a business. So but I, I we talked, we had breakfast one morning and he had a list of criteria of what he wanted in this person. First he wanted somebody with a college degree. I didn't have that. Somebody that had uh, food service experience, I didn't have that. <laughs> Finally we got down to number ten, can I breathe? Yes, I qualify for that. I could breathe. So we parted ways and a year passed and he still hadn't filled that position. And I ran into one of his investors and his investor said, I was telling him about the business I wanted to buy. And his investor said, what do you want to do that for? We need a guy like you right here at Starbucks. And I told him about my experience with Howard. He said, yeah, but we still haven't filled that position and you would be perfect. And mm-hmm. I said, okay, I'm happy to talk to Howard again and with no intention of going to work for Starbucks. But I said, I'll talk to him. And so we sat down and we talked and finally I said to him, I said, why don't, why don't you let me work in a company for a week for free? Okay. And at the end of that week, if, if you see something and I see something, then we can have a different kind of conversation. So I did that. I worked on the trucks. I worked in the stores. I worked in the roasting plant and I did that for a week and came back out of that after that week, absolutely enthralled with the business. Yeah. And fortunately Howard extended an invitation for me to join. So I turned right instead of turning left. Instead of buying a business, I went to work for this little tiny coffee company, and I never looked back. And I was there for 21 years. Fantastic! So you you, uh, you almost started the idea of undercover boss then. Um, yeah. Is yeah. Is yeah, nothing like that? Is is there? I remember having I had a role in a large pub group, uh, and when I became a director, I went and spent time with Dre Cruz, and I spent t- time serving in pubs and serving food and it's very humbling actually and and you, know, you really got to meet some great people but 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 you also you appreciate much more don't you what's important and that interface with the customer and exactly exactly i knew I, by the end of that week you know I, I certainly didn't know the ins and outs of the company but i but i got the feel for the energy in the place and 
And I came to the conclusion that it was a place that I could survive because it was, even though they didn't see it at the time, I felt that it was a people-centric business. And I coined, when I first started at Starbucks, I coined this phrase that we weren't in the coffee business serving people, but we were in the people business serving coffee. Mm. Small play on words, but it kind of, with, with my responsibility in the organization, I kind of just kept driving that home. Yeah, the coffee was important, but people were the ultimate important part of the organization. And did some people uh, kind of fight against the idea? Because I mean, and that sounds that sounds very simple, doesn't it? But actually, when if you've got a culture of an organization, it's all about the product. That's quite a shift. The service that you're selling, yeah, yeah. And I, it was not easy to get people to see to come along with that. But over a period of time, they probably everybody finally, you know, people kind of attached to it because. You know, everybody wants to be treated with respect and dignity, and that was the core, you know, yeah. of what we're trying to do. And and I brought servant leadership into the organization. I had been exposed to servant leadership from my mid-20s on, and I I studied the work of Robert Greenleaf, who who uh, created the term servant leadership. And from then on, I, I, at the beginning, I was an unconscious competent. I could, I could do it. I behaved like a servant leader, but I didn't know what I was doing. And over time, as I read Robert Greenlee's work and other people's work, I, I drove myself to become a conscious competent, somebody that understood it and could teach it. And that's what I did. Yeah. And how would you how would you then define servant leadership? What is it from your perspective? I think the core of servant leadership is this. As a leader, your primary responsibility is to do three things. One, grow your people as human beings. Help them to become better human beings. Number two, grow them as professionals. Help them to be better at the work that they do and, and be attached to the work that they do. And number three, help them achieve their own goals in life, the things that they want out of their lives. And if you do that well, then they want to help you. And that, to me, those three things are the core of servant leadership. There are many more aspects to it, but but that really is the core. So, so, it's, it's, um, so it's, it's a philosophy which... I mean, I just you sort of just got me thinking because right at the at, you know at the moment people are coming into into um, in, into work, and a lot of people are kind of worrying about the pay packets. They're they're worrying about the economy, what's going on in Israel and Palestine and uh, the Ukraine and this and the environment. And there's a lot of kind of concerns. And they go into an organisation that is is about motivating their staff with bonus schemes, with targets, with, uh, uh, with, with numbers. And it's, it's, it, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work, does it really? It, it works to a certain point, but actually you're just trying to put sticky tape over what's truly important. What you said there about growing people um, as human beings, as, as professionals and helping them achieve their goals. That's quite a different approach. Yeah, it's, it is, and that, that to me is the core, again, of servant leadership. And when you do that well, it's amazing what people uh, can accomplish and what they want to do for you. It's, uh, and so we, you know, I, we believed in that and we drove it home. Were we perfect at it? No, but, we, but we're always focused on it. One thing I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking listening to you is what, what, um, what humility you have. Uh, and you, you come across as a really, you know, with considering the amazing experience you've had and the roles that you've had, you come across as a very humble human being. 
how important is um, is humility for a leader to learn to be able to be a good servant? Well, I think humility is very important. It doesn't mean I don't have an ego. I do. Yeah, I have. Yeah. I have to have respect for myself, and I have to. I I say I have to love myself unconditionally. But at the end of the day, I have to love people equally as much. You know, I was. You know, the term love is not much is not really used much in business, but yet it it really is important. You love you you love their people just because they're human beings, not in the same context that you love your children or your spouse, but 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 because they're human beings, they're worthy of love, and when you do that. They love you back. I mean, do you think uh, that word love, when you look at people and you go to the heart of what's really important to people in their lives, you're pretty much hitting the core there. Yeah. I think people people want to feel loved, be loved, love themselves. Absolutely. You know, so when I, uh, I had that opportunity to uh, uh, take Starbucks outside of North America. And I came back from that experience realizing that, you know, that we're pretty much all the same. We all want to love and be loved. We all want to be treated with respect and dignity. We all want to grow as professionals and human beings. We all want more for, for ourselves and for our families. And outside of that, everything else is commentary. It's yeah. not the, the religions we practice. Those things are just basic human needs. And when when you help them get those things, it's amazing what they can do. It doesn't make any difference where you go, whether you're in China, whether you're in whether you're in England, whether you're in South Africa, whether you're in Japan, whether you're in Turkey. It doesn't. It's the same. Mm. We had we had on the the guest a few a guest on a few weeks ago, um, a guy called David Allison, and they've done over a million surveys into into values across the globe to understand people's values, what's truly important to them. And the the thing I, I took out of it, which I found very, very helpful, is that the about 80% of people at least across the globe uh, have, you know, one to three of the sort of following values in their in their core value sets. It was family, it was belonging, it was togetherness, it was community, it was connection. Um, right there. So it, so it doesn't matter whether we're, and, and also uh, what was interesting is we 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 make decisions upon people and people create marketing campaigns which are based upon demographics, you know, age profiles and sex profile, gender and um, ethnicity, et cetera. And actually, when it comes to values, you can have as much in common with somebody who's uh, half your age or twice your age living in China as you might do as somebody in the same demographic as you. So I think we're... We're starting to realize, aren't we, what's truly important? We do, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's so um, I think you're, you're right. I think that is really, really key. So how did you, I mean, what, what were the biggest challenges you faced when you were scaling up Starbucks? Uh, it always were people issues. I mean, the rest of it was just stuff. But it always was about the people, making sure that you had the right people in the organization, and making sure that the people that just didn't attach, you know, did something else with their lives. And and so that was always always the issue. And then making sure you had enough people. We all in the early growth stages of Starbucks, you never we never were caught it. We never had enough people on the team, you know. And mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, it's that was the biggest thing. 
and 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 then helping people attach to the organization. You know, people, everybody comes with their own needs, and and which is great. And our responsibility is to help fill those needs. But we also needed to have them attached to the greater purpose of the organization. Um, and we had a very succinct one. It went like this. We wanted to be one of the most well-known and respected organizations in the world, known for nurturing and inspiring the human spirit. And, you know, not everybody comes with an understanding of what that means. And so you have to work at getting people to understand it and to accept it and to belong to it and, and help uh, help achieve it. And, and over time we did, and 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 that those were always the biggest issues. It's always it was always people stuff. Yeah, I, I guess you, with it being the nature of it as well, you probably have have to work particularly hard in that sector because you have a lot of employees and maybe quite transient. So I guess young people who are going to university or doing doing holiday work, or so you've got to create a culture. I think that's probably very attractive to keep keep people with you yeah you do and you know that old adage like attracts like in the beginning it was more difficult but over time as you know our reputation grew and, and more people came to work then they would send out those vibes and the, the people that were would fit within starbucks came to us and you know now it's harder after covid and and uh you know a declining labor participation uh, you know, it gets more difficult, but but it's still the same same thing. It's the kind of people that you want in your organization and making sure they're getting their needs met. Yeah, and uh, I I guess making them feel possibly like they're part of a family. Is that yeah? yeah that that would be it. That they're part of it and we're part of theirs, and and it has to be real. It, it's you cannot manipulate your way into this. It has to be real and. We weren't always perfect. We made lots of mistakes and it cost us uh, trust that we'd built over time. We had to rebuild trust. And that, that's the nature of organizations. Organizations are just like human beings, imperfect. Yeah. And we are human beings, you know, made of human beings. And so, you know, trying to make sure that you live up to your promises as, as best as you can and, 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 and be self-critical as an organization when you're not. And what was the what was the what was the biggest lesson you maybe learned? Something that went wrong, and you you kind of corrected. And we're in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, when down, we had a big downturn, uh, and particularly in the United States, we where the majorities of our stores. Um, quite a depression then. The stock market plunged then, wasn't there? Two thousand eight. Laid off a lot of people, and I I thought that we we were gonna we closed a bunch of stores, so we were gonna lay off people anyway. But we let a lot of people go that we should never have let go, that it had a long history with Starbucks and that we didn't need to do. And we broke trust. Yeah. And uh, when you do that, it takes a long time to get it back. And so over years, the years it took to get it back, you know, when you do that, it's just, it, it you know, I, I was had disagreements with the layoffs. By that time, I was out of the day-to-day -day operations. I was... Um, uh, I was, you know, I was still on the board of Starbucks and I had, uh, you know, I thought we didn't need to lay off as many people. And we certainly didn't want to lose the people that bled Starbucks, so to speak. But we did. And, and then new people came in who didn't bleed Starbucks. And it took a long time for those people to attach because everybody comes with their own reasons, right? Yeah. You know, whatever, 
whatever they happen to be. And, you know, trying to, trying to rebuild that, that soul was not easy. And I, I, I imagine it was, you know, a situation where kind of, you know, a, a people centered leader like you versus finance and, yes. and, the, and, you know, the, those analytical people looking at the numbers and saying it needs to be like this. Yeah. And you get too caught up in it. We weren't losing money at the time, you know, when we, during the, even though it was tough times, we just weren't performing as well. And, uh, you know, but we made it through it. And, you know, I think that over time they gained it all back. So, yeah. I remember working, I worked with a, an insurance organization and we had done lots of development with the company and, and there's lots of green shoots and money starting coming, coming through. And it was all looking quite positive, you know, positive, but they were owned by venture capitalists. So the, the, uh, we'd added some work with the board, took them away for a few days and, uh, and the outcome of that was they said, we just can't persuade the venture capitalists, um, not to, not to merge us with, a another insurer. Um, whereas we think we need to be standalone and uh, they actually sent me to meet the venture capitalists to try and try and explain. And it was so, um, it was so frustrating because um, it was basically that we made a decision. If we didn't hit these numbers by September. This is happening. And and it didn't matter what you said or what you thought or their impact on the people. Uh, was... their, their goals were totally different than the company's goals. Yeah. Right. But, uh, I mean, there was some commonality probably, particularly at the beginning. And then they, then they diverge. All of a sudden, the venture capitalists, they're about getting their money out, making a profit, and moving on. Because they never, they don't attach to the greater purpose. Not, you know, that's a pretty broad statement. I've known plenty of uh, venture capitalists that do, but uh, but they most don't attach mm -hmm. to the greater purpose. Their greater purpose is economic returns. Yeah, it is, isn't it? And it's quite it can be quite quite self centered, can't it? Really, good times um, and uh, not just big pictures. We might we might always hope. Um, so what did you, so you, 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 when you started, there was 28 stores and you went to 15,000. I mean, over, over what time period was that? And how did you? Well, I started in 89 and uh, I left in, uh, 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 let's see, 13. It was about 2000. I left in about 2000, or let's see, uh, in about 2000 or uh, 2021 i left okay. 2020 gosh so you're not you're not actually with that long has it so you spent so you spent the best part of 30 years 31 years um there yeah. So you, yeah so that was actually less than that i i let's see what was it 13 so 2015 about so yeah yeah, did you, did you stay on do some sort of non-exec type work as as, as you? Uh, I, I, well, I was on the board for a while, and and then you know I was twelve years on the board of directors, and and then I and then I left. You know, it's that old adage: when you take your hand out of a bucket of water, see the hole you leave. Sometimes it's time to move on. Yeah. And I was in my mid six, early to mid sixties, and so it was a good time for me to move on. Excellent. Well, we're going to go to a commercial break now. Uh, after the commercial break, I'd love to. I'd love to know what it's like uh, to lead a board like you, you led at Starbucks, which has got huge influence, but also be really interesting to hear about the kind of transition that you went through as you, as you grew Starbucks internationally. That would be great. And, and I also want to talk at some point about your six Ps because they were great when we, when we chatted. So that'd be good. So we'll, uh, 
Lots more to uh, discuss after the break. We'll take a couple of minutes now, but uh, do join us. And I always think with these interviews, you know, if you've got a got a pad with you, you've got a notebook, you know, just just listen to them. Think, is there two or three things that I can take, or even one thing that I can take away from listening to a, a guest like Howard uh, that I can utilize in my business? Um, so do do uh, do take the time to do that, and then take it away and um, do something with it. Um, we'll be back again with you in just a couple of minutes. Do join us after the break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Are you a business owner, 1099 contractor, part-time employee, or volunteer who needs group health coverage you can actually afford? Do you know a nonprofit who would benefit from unlimited zero-cost funding? How about cost reduction, school safety, mental health wellness, and more? All these and more are fair game on finding certainty. If you want more certainty in your own life, you are not alone. Join us each Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Find your own brand of certainty and realize your personal American dream with Finding Certainty, hosted by Patrick Lang. Let's unwrap the certainty experience together. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the business elevation show with your host chris cooper if you have a question or comment about our show please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk that's chris at chriscooper.co.uk now back to chris cooper hi this is chris cooper i'm with howard bihar we're talking about uh, howard's story we're talking about starbucks a blend of service and leadership and I really enjoyed the conversation before the break, and uh, it's just it's great to hear an organisation that really did did care about people, does care about people, and uh, and Howard's philosophy on servant leadership and the importance of connecting people, caring about them, um, supporting them in their own professional development and uh, and growth, um, helping them to achieve their own goals. Um, really, really great stuff. So, H- Howard, we did uh, just touch before the break. I mean, you you you, I guess presided in north america and there internationally over you know over you know company boards and and the scale and significance of that from you know a company that owned 28 outlets to fifteen thousand, it's quite you know quite significant i imagine you know then the 
scale of what you were doing over your years in Starbucks will have grown and expanded and deepened. What did you learn about about boards and and them operating effectively? Well, the best boards understand that they are not the operators. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that they're there to help and to guide and uh, to ask good questions and to uh, really they need to understand the business and they need to to relate to it. They need to attach as much as the operators need to attach, and because otherwise, you know, the, their their motivations diverge from the organization's motivations, and it's important that everybody is on the same train going down the same track. So I think that's the most critical thing. And, you know, I think also that boards need to represent the broader spectrum of society. You know, we have this argument today about diversity, you know, it's, and I'm in total disagreement. I think that the the more, the better boards are more diverse. I, I don't mean diverse in skin color or, or just gender, but diverse of ideas and ideas. And that comes when people have had different life experiences. Yeah. Right. It, if you've all had the same life experiences, then it's hard to have diverse thoughts and ideas. And so I think that is really critical for boards is, is to be representative of, of the totality of the communities in which you operate as best as you can. And I think at Starbucks, we did that really well. I, I, I have always been proud of the board. When I served on it, it was very diverse. It's even more diverse today. And they bring a set of unique experiences. And so with that, they ask unique questions. Mm. And, and that's what you want to have happen. Mm. So so I like that, the diversity of ideas and, uh, and unique questions. But, uh, but the, you know, from 28 to 15,000, how many, how many um, employees in Starbucks did, did you start off with? And how many when you left the business? I mean, you must have been in nearly a couple of hundred thousand, I would imagine, by the end. When I started, there were 300, and when I left, there were there were 200, about 200,000. Right. <laughs> it, I mean, it is quite a difference. But you know what you learn if you bring in great people. Uh, I have this saying called "the person who sweeps the floor should choose the broom." And when you bring in great people and you explain to them what the greater purpose of the organization is, what what you're hoping their contribution contribution will be and but then let them choose their own broom if they're floor sweepers you know let them participate in in creating a unique place and growing the organization get out of their way and if they make a mistake be there to support them yeah uh, you know but uh if you try to if you're always on top of them if you're always chastising them if they make a mistake right then they've become afraid of doing anything yeah. yeah. So, you know, your job, um, the best motivation is when somebody has the opportunity to contribute to the organization themselves without you interfering and give them big responsibility and get out of the way. Knock down the hurdles in front of them, make sure they have enough resources and, and then and be there to support them. But other than that, get out of their way. Yeah. Yeah. Get out, get out of the way. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, to, so did you did in Starbucks? Presumably, then, if you had two hundred thousand people, uh, were, were they? That, did you was it a complete employee model, or did you have star? Do you have Starbucks franchises and 
licensing. No, I mean, it was, we had uh, everything we did was either company owned or joint venture. We had some right. licenses that we might do in airports or a few places, uh, grocery stores or things like that. But other than that, most of the stores were company owned and operated either through a joint venture or, or wholly owned. And, you know, so it was lots of people. And, you know, after a while, you know, in the early days, I, I knew most of the people by name and even though their wives' names, and in many cases, their kids' names. And after a while, you don't. But you still have, I learned that I can't control things. Mm. But I have, I, like I said, you have to let go. And I gave the same speech thousands of times. They were not in the coffee business, we're in the people business. And here's what that means. And uh, uh, I just kept driving that home. And I didn't care which country I was in. It was the same story because it, I didn't think there was going to be any, I, you know, I didn't have any expertise in international business, but I believed in human beings. And when I, we, no matter where we went, we operated the same way. Our values were our values. Now we might, you know, the cultures were different, the food they ate and the religions they practiced were different, but at the end of the day, they were the same. And if, if they knew you cared about them, then they cared about you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what, I'm I'm kind of intrigued about your own self development. So, you know, moving from leading an organization with 300 people to 200,000, you know, there, there must have been times where you had to work on yourself in terms of your own your confidence and to step up. And uh, you know, what what did you learn about your own self development during the journey? You had to constantly grow yourself. Mm. You 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 never you never stop. You know, I had to learn what it meant to to lead a larger and larger organization. I had to learn what it meant to open stores across the world. And I didn't I didn't know the answers to those questions. And but I had to stay true to my values. You know, I couldn't I didn't want to change Howard. And, you know, I've carried with me a sheet of paper uh, that I call a picture in Howard of 50 words or less. And I used it. Didn't, I'll show it to you. I did. I used that. I, I, I started on this uh, over 50 years ago, and I still have it with me today. And it has my core, my mission statement, my personal mission statement, my core values, and then my six Ps, how I do everything. And I, I didn't care which country I was in. That was Howard. Yeah. Because otherwise I was a fake. You know, and the most important thing was to be authentic and vulnerable. Mm. And humble. <laughs> yeah. And how did you, um, I, I, I think that's great, being that consistency. And you must, how did you cope with, you must have been um, in the organization, you, you became a celebrity really, when, when there's that many people know you. How, how did you cope with that? I mean, I, I know, I just started from the little bits myself, I kind of just remember in, in having senior roles in organizations when I got, I just got to a point where people were kind of, I want to put them on my ease because they would be starting to get a little bit tongue-tied talking to me. Um, but but you you you're on a different on a different scale to me. Um, how did you cope with that? I, you know, it's funny. I never thought of myself as that. I look at I just Howard. That's it. Yeah. That's uh, I I would clean condiment stands. If the light bulbs needed changing, I'd get a ladder in the store and go change them. I yeah. didn't care. Uh, we were all in it together, and that's how I wanted to act. And if you truly be, believe that people are at the core of what you're doing, then then you don't get carried away with yourself. 
And mm. the people that did didn't last very long at Starbucks. No. Uh, and, uh, you know, who's the most important person at Starbucks? The barista. Absolutely. They're the closest to the customers. They're dealing with it every day. They're the ones that are providing the product and services that we provide. I didn't. They did. And so my job was to help them do that. And uh, I didn't, you know, you can't get carried away. Uh, you know, and I, my job, I always felt I needed to put everybody just like you were talking about, you put people at ease by, but, and I, I did that by, by caring about them first, by, you know, if I walked into a store, the first thing I do is talk to the baristas and I'd want to know where they came from, how long they had been with Starbucks and what their life was like, et cetera. And then I'd ask them three questions. What do you like about Starbucks? What don't you like about Starbucks? And what would you change about Starbucks? Amazingly enough, I still go into stores today and ask those questions. And I don't have any role at Starbucks at all. But if I hear something really important, I might send a, a text or an email to somebody in leadership at Starbucks. Say, here's something you might want to think about. But, you know, it, it's when you do that, when you're just them, it's, you don't get carried away with yourself. And hopefully they begin to trust you because that's what I wanted most. I wanted them to know that they could trust me because I trusted them. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And you mentioned that you showed you you, you briefly showed a card. I couldn't re I couldn't read it on the over the Zoom, but you you carried around with you your mission, your core values, and your six P's. Um, I don't know if you are, are you able to share any of that with us. Um, I know, but that would be great to plagiarize my mission. I had a different mission, uh, and then thirty so over thirty five years ago, Starbucks worked on. It would be HAG, which I told you, be one of the most well-known and respected organizations. And I, I plagiarized part of it. I wanted to live my, I want to live my life every day, nurturing, inspiring the human spirit, beginning with myself first, and then for others. And the reason why I self say self first is what I understand is that after living for seventy-nine years, if you're not okay with you, it's very difficult to help somebody else. Yeah. Then my core values are honesty, fairness respect for self and others, responsibility, integrity, trust in self and others, caring and love. And, and my six P's, which you act, asked about, are like this. Uh, I want to do everything I do in my life with a, a purpose greater than myself. It can't be about me. And if I have a purpose greater than myself, the second P is then I darn well better be passionate about it. Should mm. get me up in the morning and I'm ready to go, I'm charged up and I'm excited about life and what I'm trying to accomplish. Then the third P is persistence. Nothing in life comes easy. We're all on these rivers we call our lives. And in those rivers, there are rocks. Some rocks are below the surface of water. Some rocks are above the surface of the water. Some rocks are around the bend. But we hit those rocks. Even the ones we see, sometimes we hit them. And you have to learn to get over them, around them, under them, or through them, or or, or blow them up, one, one thing, because persistence pays in life. Nothing comes easy. It's always things are difficult to accomplish and, and you have to stay with it. And then the fourth P is patience. Nothing comes in the time frame that you want it to come. You gotta, have, you gotta be patiently persistent and you have to be willing to take the time because you, know, you gotta be most patient with yourself, but you also have to be patient with others. Because not other people, not other people come along at the same time that you do, yeah. and so you've got to give time and room for people, and particularly yourself. And then the fifth P is performance. The truth is, we don't like this, but we're all getting measured every day. 
if you live with a, a significant other in your life, if you're married or you have children or you work anywhere, you know, you have to perform for those people. The commitments you make, you've got to live up to. If you get married and you, and you make a commitment to have a monogamous relationship, then you better live up to it or don't be married. Your job's to take out the garbage, take out the garbage. You shouldn't have to be out. At work, if you make a commitment to your co-workers or the people that you report to, live up to the commitment or tell them why you can't and ask for help. Performance matters. And then the final P, everything we do in life is about serving other human beings. I don't care what role you have in life, whether you're a widget maker, whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, a fire chief, a barista, you know, uh, it doesn't, an interviewer, it doesn't make any difference. It's always about serving human beings. And there will be nothing that you will ever do that won't be about that. And if we're able to make that connection, really deeply make that connection, you know, you don't get, you don't get burned out. You don't get bored. You may get tired and you need rest and you need rejuvenation. But when you're always focused on serving others, it's amazing how that keeps you charged up. Yeah. Wow. That was um, wonderful to hear. I feel quite emotional now listening to that. I don't know why. I feel, um, yeah, very, um, very moved by that. I think um, you, you touch on a lot of things that feel very, very important right now. I'm, I'm in, how do you... How do you view the future of leadership now with, you know, the way the world is moving uh, and also in those trends like AI, for example? Um, do you have a view on what we need yeah, to be doing? It's, it will always be about people. No matter how much the technologists want to make it about the technology, it's still about people. And... Um, it can't be anything else. Uh, it's yet we get confused. We think it's about the numbers. Mm. We think it's about the data. It's not. You know, I always give this example. You know, everybody in business today, more, I want more data, more data, more data. And because if I get more data, then I can manipulate the process. I can mani manipulate the relationship between ourselves and our customers. And I don't think that's it. I don't. I think it's about building honest, true relationships with other human beings. And when you do that well, you don't have to manipulate anything. The way I'd say it is this. You come home at night and your wife says to you, I'm unhappy in this marriage. How much more data do you need? Yeah. Well, you don't need a lot of data. Just listen yeah. to your people. And that's the data that you need. And, uh, you know, I don't know where all this is heading. I can tell you, you can see the organizations that, care about their people. Look at Uber. The guy that founded Uber, great idea. I mean, entrepreneur, but he he abused his people, right? He eventually got blown out. You can't hide today. The internet doesn't let you hide. Uh, you know, Microsoft with Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer, they're kind of, they were kind of abusers. They were mm -hmm. smarter than hell and created a huge successful company. But, you know, they were kind of abusive to their people. They're and they lost about 15 years of results because of it. New guy comes in, Satya Nardelli. He changes, he was worked at Microsoft, but he changes the thrust. He says the single most important attribute a leader can have is empathy. And he changes the business to focus on people again. And, and what happens, the results turn around. And on and on and on and on, Volkswagen, cheats, 
right? And loses the trust with the diesel diesel yeah. fuel mileage, cheats, and loses the trust of the, their customers and their people, and they have to work hard to get it back. I mean, you see it everywhere you go. I think at the end of the day, you know, only the truth sounds like the truth. Be humble, be authentic, be vulnerable as leadership in leadership positions. And it's amazing what you can accomplish. I don't say that, hey, performance matters. Results matters. You don't get to do any of this if you don't perform. So you, you got to get the job done. But it's not on the backs of your people. It's with your people. Yeah. No inherent, inherent uh, conflict between making an adequate profit, making an adequate profit, and serving your people. That's fiction. It's absolutely fiction. But yet too many leaders get caught up and they say, I got to, hey, I got to hammer my people. I got to drive them to do more. I got to get that whip out. I got to get them to understand, you know, what they got, you know. No. If you want to find out how well that works, just do that at home with your wife and see how that works. Yeah. Abuse your wife. You're not going to be married for very long. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh Or your husband. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh. Yeah, I just you just see so, so often, you know, when there's stress in an organization, uh, people start pointing fingers and they start blaming. They're not doing this, and that department's not doing that, and and actually, uh, often the times to look in the mirror. I think. Yeah, you own all the results. If you're not getting the results, go in the mirror and look at yourself. Exactly. You I don't care what other people are doing. It's you, and you're the one, and you've got to help your people achieve those results with love and with caring. Absolutely, and we've got we've got a. Um, I just noticed we're nearly um, to the end of the interview, but you've 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 written a, a couple of great books. Um, it's not about the coffee and the magic cup. I've noticed the the magic cups a fictional story to kind of. Is, do they do they work like that? Is that the um, the aim of them? One giving the first one gives you philosophy, and the the second one embeds with the story. Is that how you should read them? That's how I did that. Yeah. I think you start. I think you start with the first one. It's not about the coffee, and yeah. then read the magic cup. I think yeah. the most important one is is it's not about the coffee. It it lays out, I think, the key importance of, of how you treat people and what all that really means. And it all begins with how you treat yourself, right? It, it, if you're abusive to yourself, then you're inclined to be abusive to others. And so you have to learn to love yourself unconditionally, which is not easy. Yeah, It's not easy. And, and you know, I have... One of my affirmations in life is that I love myself unconditionally. Another one is I am enough, I have enough, I do enough, right? It doesn't mean I'm satisfied always with my results and what I do, but but I am enough and I do have enough, and, uh, you know. Fantastic. Um, so we've just got, yeah, I've got a, a, a minute or two uh, left, and, I, I mean, what do you do for, what do you do for fun now? I mean, what, what, what do you, what's your plans? What, what do you... What do you intend to do with the next few few years? I'm 79. Believe it or not, I still have a five year plan. Perfect. So I, I suspected you had, which is why I asked you. <laughs> I have always done planning, you know, along with my uh, mission and values. I, I've always had goals, and I still do. And I want to influence how the world leads. I want to I want people to see a different pathway to leadership. And yeah. so I continue to drive that home as the best way I can. If I can just change one person, it's enough. And so I just keep working at it, keep keep working at it, keep trying to do the same thing. 
Amazing. Fantastic. I've loved the conversation today. It's been brilliant talking to you. Um, I'm going to have to end it there because we're right at the end uh, right now. Do you have a final message very briefly you'd like to leave us with? Uh, don't live your life with intention. Who are you? Who do you want to be? What are your values? What are your goals? What's your mission state, statement in life? And then live up to it. Don't don't just turn. You don't want to be 79 years old and retired and say, what the hell happened? You want to be able to look back at your life and see that you lived your life according to your plan. Fantastic. Howard's been brilliant. If you want to find more information on Howard, go to Howard uh, Bihar. Uh, that's B-E-H-A-R.com. And you check those out and, and two great books which uh, share um, the, the, the values and the, the beliefs and the, the service um, leadership. Um, so do go and, um, uh, and access those. And uh, thank you, Howard. It's been absolutely brilliant. On next week's show, um, we're going to be talking about the uh, the spoken word with an absolute master of it, Arthur Joseph. So do join us again next week. Any questions, comments, send them to me. I'd love to hear from you, chris at chriscooper.co.uk. And, and go away, take some of this, have a think about your own leadership uh, um, and utilize some of this thinking to uh, contribute to a better world. Love yourself more. Uh, that's really important it's uh you've got to keep on growing and developing yourself um but uh do take you know some of these points from this interview and look at how you can put them in place we need people to step up today and lead in a better way and uh, this has been a great example of how to do it we thank you for listening to the chris cooper business elevation show Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.